Right on, right on, right on. Live right. Live right. In the real world. Right on radio. Right on radio. Hey, welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. The tagline of the show is Live Right in the Real World, where I will show you the real world, both visible and invisible, and then you can decide how to live right in it. What a show I've got for you today. Uh, I've been super excited about this guest that I'm going to be bringing on in just a few moments we're going to talk about one of the most important topics that I think is out there, and that is the coming great deception that is coming. And make no mistake, this is uh, this is going to be it's it's demonic, and it's going to be so convincing. The Bible says even some of the elect will be fooled by this. And we do not want you to be fooled, and we're going to bring some hard evidence to support this. Uh, Before I do bring that in, I just need to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what's going on, your foods are being poisoned, your products are being poisoned, the supply chain is broken, you want to secure things for your family. The price is the same that you're already paying, except you support Uh, are basically our own Christian economy. You support the small guy instead of the big guy. And you know what? When a bunch of us get together, we do make an impact. We've calculated that if just 10% of patriots, just 10% of patriots switch over, that will take out $30 billion of business away from the cabal. Do the switch now. And by the way, where's the beef? Go to mylibertystand.com. That's mylibertystand.com. Also, I this is a listener-supported show. I do appreciate every one of you that supports me. Uh, you can do it on my Patreon, which is linked on Podbean. You can go to rightonradio.podbean.com. Click the Patreon. If you prefer to do a one-time donation, uh, I do have a PayPal, and it is in the description box. I sincerely, listen, I trust God for my substance, but sometimes God might work through you. So without further ado, my guest today is Stan Deo. He was working on anti-gravity projects and a bunch of other things. His story is incredibly fascinating Uh, This is real-world evidence he's going to be bringing firsthand account. His security clearance in the Air Force was top secret. Then when he went into the Black Ops projects, it was beyond top secret. Uh, Make sure to subscribe if you haven't. Please share this show. You could be helping to save someone's eternal life. That's how passionate I feel about this particular topic. And without further ado, please help me welcome Stan Deo into Right On Radio Studios. Stan, what a pleasure to have you on with me, sir. Thank you, Jeff. And and I'm waving to those of you that uh, don't have video on this. Um, so, 
So Stan, your, your story is fascinating. And I just want to give the audience a bit of your background for the credibility portion of this, because some of the things you're going to say today, uh, I think are going to be shocking to many people. Some people might've suspected these things, but this is very real. So just tell us how you got started down this, uh, down this path. Hmm. Well, mm, skipping to my time in Dallas in the computer industry, um, I uh, was one of the experts in computing at that time uh, with IBM Systems there and was employed by a multinational and uh, multi-corporate uh, structure. We had 100 uh, companies in the structure to um, oversee their systems and operations for their computer system. And um, I had an office up on the top floor next to the, the big cheese himself. And uh, I was in there and uh, I had people working for me. So there were moments of time when I could spin a blackboard around that was in my office there and pick up the chalk and work on my theories for anti-gravity and uh, free energy and that kind of stuff. Well, one day I went down to the executive, uh, what would drink executive hour down into the lunchroom where there was no one there except me and the people pouring the coffee. And that, that would seat maybe 1,200 people. So I sat there, and then this guy came walking in, and I recognized he was one of the executives of our uh, our, our insurance company. He was a, um, what do you call it, a guy, a guy that figures the odds uh, of, you know, you dying and that kind of stuff, he, uh, actuary. Anyway, he sat down in front of me, and I'd never met him. I'd just seen him in the hall. And he introduced himself, and uh, we talk a bit over coffee. He says, uh, so what are you up to? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, oh, what's your hobbies and things? And I said, oh, well, you know, I've been working on a way to, to make anti-gravity and uh, to make uh, free energy from the atmosphere and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I do this at home on my own time. And anyway, he says, well, that's very interesting. He said, you know, you should talk to a friend of mine, Dr. Jim Maxfield. He's down the street here at Radiation Research uh, Clinic. And uh, he'd be really interested in hearing what you got to say. Here's these details. So I, was, I thanked him and I put it in my pocket and went on about my business for about a month and didn't go see the guy because I really didn't see any point to it. Well, a month later, I'm down there going down for coffee and I'm the only one there again. And this guy, Ted Awonski, shows up again, Polish guy. Um, and he sits across from me. He says, you know, you haven't contacted my friend, Jim. I said, uh, yeah, no, look, I've been busy and stuff. He says, well, you have an appointment to see him this afternoon at uh, let's say 3.30, he said, be there at this address on Lemon Avenue and go and talk to him, which I did. Um, and I I drove over to the parking lot, went up to the door, which was a normal type wooden door, nothing fancy in his, his uh, uh, facility. And I opened it up, there's this long hallway and um, couldn't see anybody in except a bit of light down where the receptionist desk would be on the right. So I walked down there very carefully being sure, you know, I was kind of spooked out by all this anyways. Who is this guy? What does he want to talk to me for? Anyway, so I go down into that uh, light at the uh, hallway down there, and there's no receptionist there, but uh, the window next to her desk, of course, is letting the light in. And I'm about to turn around to go and leave, and uh, she comes out from the restroom or something and says, oh, wait a minute, you, have, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Maxfield's expecting you. Just wait there a second. He's back in the lab. And the lab was straight ahead down the hallway there, and sure enough, the, the lab doors burst open, and out comes this about six foot tall Texas guy with boots, um, a lab coat, uh, a cigar sticking out of his face. And <laughs> he comes over and says, howdy, boy. And I said, well, sir, I was told to meet you. Yeah, I know who you are, boy. Come into my office. And his office was right across from reception. So we went into that. It's probably about a 10 foot by 10 foot square office, nothing big. 
as we came in upon the, the wall next to my right, I saw pictures of him and Dr. Edward Teller uh, having champagne on a submarine as they passed under the pole. Um, you know, uh, and his degrees in, in mathematics and this and that. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's way up the food chain as far as, you know, physics and mathematics and all this kind of stuff. And Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb. Wow. And so I, I sit down in front of his desk and uh, he says, OK, boy, tell me what you're doing. And I said, well, uh, exactly what? He says, well, you know, it's your home uh, in your lab at home. And so here I am talking to this, you know, super genius of all of these guys. I'm thinking. If I tell him I'm working on anti-gravity, he's going to say, you've been reading too many comic books or something. So I thought, well, sir, I've, I've been working on a theory, but, you know, between magnetism and gravity and electricity. He said, well, look, look don't fence around. He says, we know you're working on anti-gravity. We're, we're doing that, too. So uh, what have you done so far? And, of course, after I picked my jaw up off the floor, I said, well, um, yeah, right. That's, that, that's good. What, uh, how can I help you, sir? And he said, well, we'd like you to join our project. And I said, what project is that? And. He explained that he and Teller and, and others had a, a global uh, organization that was not government controlled, but privately controlled to uh, develop anti-gravity and various other attendant technologies. And that uh, they were a little bit ahead of me. Uh, they started in the late 60s and here it was, you know, 71. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds great. Where, where do I sign up for this thing? And he says, well, you uh, will need to go to um, uh, Australia. And I said, well, I can't afford to just pick up and, you know, fly to Australia. He said, oh, we'll take care of all that. Uh, you know, uh, sell your house, uh, any shares of market and stuff. You know, just uh, close off all your business dealings here. And I'll call Bob Green over at the San Francisco Consulate for the Australians. And I'll tell him, you know, uh, to set you up over there. And uh, we're going to bring you into the country as, um, let's see, an electrical engineer. They need electrical engineers down there. I said, well, I have no degrees. And he says, well, it doesn't matter. We'll just, we'll put it down for that. That's, you're now an electrical engineer going into Australia. So I thought, all right. He <laughs> said, it'll, it'll be about 30 days. We'll have our people come out and give you the medicals and things uh, to comply with Australian regulations. And then uh, we'll give you the tickets for you and your family and you can fly down to Australia. Well, <clears throat> at the same time, I'd been working for the FBI undercover and it uncovered a, a really massive plot inside the FBI itself, which was against the, uh, the director, uh, Mr. Hoover at the time. So I wasn't sure whether, you know, I'd been exposed and, you know, my plane was going to blow up on the way to Australia or what. So I grabbed my family and left a week ahead of time without telling anybody, took the flight down to Sydney, got there and went on down and uh, waited a few months before I contacted my uh, control agent, which was Sir John Williams there, Captain Sir John Williams in Melbourne. OK, that's where I, I then joined the project writing reports and, and, and by, uh, my ideas on how we should share this with the people or not because they want to keep all this stuff secret. And uh, that's where the, I started in the project. Now, in that project, I was exposed. Hey, to let me just ask you a couple questions real quick, Stan, um, <clears throat> on that. So this contractor, would they happen to have been affiliated with a uh, three-letter agency of some kind? Um, you know, I don't know, uh, because it, it was out of normal government. Um, I don't know. It, it uh, had that, that's how the black ops work, right? <laughs> you know, it, it is, and I'm sure they must have known something about it and been read into it because we had uh, we were dealing with Russians with uh, Andreas Sakharov, whom the Russians had under house arrest, so he couldn't spread too much of what we were doing. The Canadians, the, the New Zealand, the Kiwis, uh, uh, ASIO, Australian Security Intelligence Agency in Australia, 
um, uh, let's see, Norway, you know, the Norwegian border. We had a, a NATO base there that we used. Uh, just countries all over the world were involved in the scientific and engineering and financial communities, but way above governments. These are the people that make governments. Um, right. And, and but, that's what I wanted to get to. And and why Australia? Well, well, they speak English down there and uh, they had a, a facility there at uh, Pine Gap and uh, uh, I think Nurengar as well at that time. And, and then one down the South Pole, which is fairly close to Australia. Uh, you know, there were people there already working there at Fisherman's Men, which is where my contacts uh, sent me. Fisherman's Men is an um, aeronautical research facility, ARL, for Australia. It's now been replaced by a, a, a bigger organization um, in the uh, Australian chain of command or whatever. But at that time, it was ARL. And uh, the director there was Dr. Tom Keeble. And uh, in my meeting with, with Tom and his engineers and his physicists, we talked about, you know, how I'd come to Australia, who I'd talked to on the way down to be sure that, you know, who I'd talked to wasn't the wrong person, whatever. And they said, uh, did ASIO contact you? Well, I didn't know who ASIO was. And I, uh, I said, well, who do you mean? I mean, uh, who, who's ASIO? And they said, oh. Well, it's um, the Australian Security Intelligence Organization. We just wanted to know if you'd talk to them. And while they were saying this, um, I said, well, all right, uh, do they know about the uh, flying saucer business, the anti-gravity and all that stuff? And they said, uh, oh, yeah, yes, probably. And they waved their hands over toward the bookshelf behind Dr. Keeble and they, or, you know, to his left. And they said, you know, uh, no, no, they, 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 uh, they probably know a little bit about it. And uh, we just wanted to see if you'd talk to them about it. And so they were pointing all of them as though it were a microphone hidden in the, you know, uh, the, the bookshelf there. And I said, oh, well, okay, I understand. And so the conversation then went to sort of, you know, innocuous discussions and whatever. And I said, well, uh, do you guys have uh, pictures of the, uh, you know, the flying saucers and, and the things that, that we've known about and contacted? And they said, yes, at the RAAF base at Sail Air Force Base. And uh, I said, oh, good, can I see them? And they said, oh, no, no, you, you, you don't need to see those. And they pointed again at the sh the bookshelf and just like forget that topic right now. So anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Keeble was sitting there and we, we looked out the window. We were on the second floor and looked out the window and this big black limousine uh, drove up, stretch limousine. And he said, well, gentlemen, I'm going to leave you to talk about this, uh, get acquainted. Uh, I've got to go for uh, a luncheon. And the the uh, physicists that were there with me said, oh, wow, we, we wish we could go to those lunches. You know, that's cool. And uh, whoever it was, was a, was a big, you know, big note in, in the community somehow or another. And I suspect it was Captain Sir John Williams, my, my control agent, because he, he used either a Mercedes or a, a black stretch limousine when he picked me up. But um, yeah, anyway, I, I was inducted into it and uh, kept at distance because I wanted to, you know, reveal to the public. I put that in writing in, in a communication with Sir John. I said, look, we ought to tell people what we've got here and let them you know, join into the, the alien concept here. I mean, we're, we're talking to them and uh, we've got their technology. Why don't we tell people about it? And they say, this is not, not to be done. Uh, so trash your paper, do not submit it. And uh, okay, so I didn't. But um, anyway, that's how it started. And uh, let me just ask you another question. At, at this time, Stan, uh, we're talking 1971, if we're still on that year. Uh, at the very beginnings here, 
where was your faith? Were were you a believer in God at the time, or were oh, you a quasi? Let's say I'd been raised in a Presbyterian church, been to Sunday school, and all that kind of stuff, but had let it kind of fall by the wayside as I pursued the you know computing career and engineering that kind of stuff. And uh, so, no, uh, it was not until a few months later that I signed on full board, which I can tell you about in a minute if you wish. Absolutely. So, so just previously, right before that question, you had mentioned, you know, you wanted to tell people we're in contact with these aliens, we've got their technologies and stuff like that. How did you come to discover all of this for, for fact? Well, uh, I, uh, I had a briefing by Sir John and, and Sir Henry Somerset of the CSIRO at, at lunch one day at the Australian Club. But I also was told uh, a number of things outside my my very narrow window in there uh, by security details that would uh, reveal information to me. And there were some uh, things to read, uh, pictures to look at. Um, I was shown a picture of an assembly area in a, a big, large, like, barn, like, like um, well, like a big metal a building rectangular like a, a aircraft hangar sort yeah, of thing. yeah yeah definitely and they, in there there were a couple of pictures they were showing me close-ups of the assembly of our 30-foot diameter of anti-gravity craft um and uh there might have been i'm just trying to count my mind there might have been nine or ten of these uh in the on the floor there but the one closest to me was the one where they had the the coils open so you could see how the field coils worked or, or and around the toroid and stuff like that and they showed me everything there except for one thing the guards told me about, which was a couple of flat wire coils that curved over these uh, toroidal coils to allow you to steer the thing. Um, and, you know, that plus, oh, years later, after I left the program, I think I, I actually met uh, a uh, man and woman team who were the fallen angels, uh, you know, that we called aliens. And I was invited to their private residence to speak with them. They they were a liaison with the group to um, uh, United Nations. Um, and I must tell you, it was, it was a home. I met them in their home. And I felt an eerie thing like, like a canary would feel when the cat's at the doorway trying to get into your cage. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't explain it any way other than that. Their, their eyes looked normal. There were no reptilian eyes or any of that kind of stuff. But I think that's as close as I came to actually meeting any of these uh, beings. Um, so, so how did you know that they were fallen angels? They they looked like people, I'm assuming. Yeah, I couldn't see them in the sunlight. I was told by my security detail, if I ever met any of these uh, tall human, you know, nerdy looking ones, that their skin in the sunlight would be like an oil spill on the on the ground, or you know, on the on the bitumen, where if you they turned their hand left and right a little bit, there would be like a rainbow appear on their skin from very tiny scales instead of like our normal skin cells. They had scales that allowed this to diffract the light, and make a rainbow on their skin. I didn't see that. I was just told to look for that. Um, but you asked when I was a believer. Well, I, I wasn't a believer when I, I ran out of, of, of Melbourne from the project because they were deciding to put me at the bottom of a mine shaft about 5,000 feet uh, deep over in um, Victoria in, in the minefields. And, uh, let me finish my research down there at the bottom of a mine shaft that I couldn't tell anybody about. I realized <clears throat> that they were going to um, you do mischief to me. I was pretty sure, you know, to keep me from going public with what I was wanting to tell people. Anyway, um, yeah, I found out about this there in Melbourne. 
And then Sir John had all of my papers, everything that they had in the office sent to me. Uh, they destroyed their copies. I, I was to either keep or destroy my copies. It was left on the front door by his, his driver. And um, so I realized that time I'd been cut off uh, from the group and that I was probably going to get killed. So I made plans to uh, escape, to, you know, disguise myself, change my name and, and, and in essence, go bush like the Australians say to, to get out of town and try to hide from them so they wouldn't uh, put me at the bottom of that mine shaft or whatever they were going to do. Now, one night, you know, about a month or so later, I'd been growing a beard and I had long hair and I uh, had met hippie friends there who were going to go from Melbourne over to uh, the desert, the Nullarbor, and then eventually to um, uh, Perth. So I decided, you know, can I go with you guys? You know, can I travel? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so I told them what, what the deal was, where I'd been, what I'd been doing, and that they needed to kind of keep quiet about my presence with them. And um, so I did, and, and, and they did. And I left town, uh, and the, uh, phew, my glasses are giving me trouble here. I left town uh, one night, drove all night over to Adelaide, which is halfway between uh, Melbourne and Perth. And uh, there we stayed for several months uh, with friends of theirs, and hair grew longer, and the bandana was a nice yellow bandana tied around, so I looked like a real hippie. And I wore sunglasses when I was in town there. Um, that that was a way to, to uh, disguise myself and to hide was to be obviously an untouchable. Uh, I was taught that by a former uh, intelligence officer of the Australian uh, Army. Anyway, uh, wear sunglasses, wear shitty clothes, uh, you know, sorry, you know, hippie type clothes with holes and stuff in it and wear sunglasses with reflectors on them so that your eyes can't be seen. And that's what I did. And I noticed that when I went into the street there in Adelaide for supplies or whatever, that people would give me wide berth on the, on the <laughs> sidewalk, you know, which is, which is good. That's the way it's supposed to be. And uh, so when it came time for us to go on to uh, Perth, when we uh, accumulated a little bit of money with the, one of the guy's wife was a stripper and she earned money for us that way. And um, we had uh, some food supplies uh, for the desert and fuel and that kind of stuff. When we had enough, we were about ready to go. And that evening, uh, we were invited to attend a UFO meeting, uh, UFO you know, club or whatever. And so I was sitting there in the audience with uh, the people I was traveling with and with all the other guests. And they uh, invited me up to, to speak. I said, uh, uh, you know, I didn't realize I was supposed to speak. And they said, well, can you tell us about your work in the States and, uh, you know, um, what you're doing here? And so I thought, well, I better tell them maybe about the the economic things that we were doing in Dallas, where we were planning to use a, a global digital system for money exchange for people and how that was working and how we figured out where to put the mark on the right hand of the people if they had groceries in the left hand or they didn't have a hand on the forehead somewhere in the you know, hard bony area. And then I excused, you know, thanked him for that and sat down. The meeting was called over, and this little old white-haired lady sitting behind where I was uh, grabbed me before I could get out the door to the cars. She said, look, uh, I know you're leaving town. You're in a hurry, but here is a book, a Bible, a little Bible. I've marked a passage in it. I want you to read and think about what you're doing, what you've been doing. And I said, oh, okay, thank you very much, and put it in my pocket, and off we went. Well, second night in the desert, we, were, we left Adelaide, and I was sitting in front of the headlights of, of my car, and, um, uh, you know, I was making notes uh, and I remembered that that Bible was in my, my uh, shirt pocket there or my vest pocket. So I pulled it out and uh, looked at where she put it. It was Revelation uh, 13. 
uh, about numbering and the number of the beast and uh, wisdom and all this. And I, I read it and I read it again. And I thought, well, they're talking about the same thing I was talking about, you know, back in Dallas. And that was back in 1970 and 71. And I thought, and I've been helping this. And I, and I realized, I said, you know, I'm probably going to be killed here shortly before I can even tell people about what happened. Uh, there, you know, intelligence agents will be after me shortly anyway, and I'll be a, a goner and all this information will be lost. And then I said, gee, you know, Jesus, I, I, I guess I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I, we may be meeting pretty soon. And I want to be sure we're, we're on the same page. And, you know, I support you and I, and I, I know who you are and what you did for me. And, you know, I went through the, the, the confession of my sins with him and, and then went to bed, went back into the car, turned off the headlights and um, went to sleep. Well, I won't go into all the details, but let me say that starting the next day, miracles started to happen along the way to help us. One miracle, which is important, was about the third night or so we were in the desert. We were next to a, a little campfire we built there off the main dirt path through the desert. And you can see for miles in the desert at night. <clears throat> and I saw a pair of headlights coming toward us from the Adelaide side of the desert. And it came, kept coming and coming and coming and drove right up off the road to our campsite. And we were just sitting on some rocks and, you know, shrub bush that we, we stacked up to sit on and, and uh, sit around the fire. And this guy comes out and he, he's uh, well built like, you know, a karate expert or whatever, like odd job in the uh, James Bond movies. And he came and he sat right next to me. He didn't sit next to the other people around our day, next to me. I mean, close enough to be in personal space. And I thought, this is unusual. And he says, oh, hi, guys. Uh, glad to catch up with you and he leaned over to me and he says in a whisper i know who you are and i'm here to kill you well that's a conversation stopper right there uh, yeah <laughs> and I, I i kind of stiffened a little bit thinking can i move away from him quick enough or does he have a gun or a knife or what and he said but i'm gonna let you go we've been here talking for a while around the fire and i know what you're about and i'm gonna let you go and tell him i couldn't find you and I'm going to go on to Perth myself. I've got business to do over there. It turns out that he's a Jesuit priest uh, who is also an assassin, if, if need be. Um, but anyway, that that miracle there convinced me that the Lord's looking after me because I could have been toast right at that point. Right and then there. Other, yeah, other miracles, you know, um, things that broke on the, the trailer got fixed at midnight by miracle for you know, like 10 or 12 bucks, something like that. I mean, all this kind of stuff and, and people feeding us as we came across the border for free, giving us food. I, you know, I, I, there's just so many miracles that I had to say, boy, the Lord is with me right now. I feel that. And, um, never, never left me. Um, uh, in fact, the Holy spirit, I felt when I first made an announcement over at, at in Perth at television station years later, we're going to have to reveal this all on TV in a documentary about the cover up and what we were doing. As I was driving up to the gates of channel nine there, this, warm flowing honey feeling as started at the base of my skull and went down my spine and just mm. there was peace all through my body all of a sudden and i suspect that's when the holy spirit was telling me i'm here don't worry about what you got to say on this show just do it and, and that was it so yeah and since then I, i've not felt the warm feeling but i i assume it's in me still i don't think it went away yeah yeah of course so so what the information you have is first of all you can verify anti-gravity machines exist yes oh absolutely and a lot and, of other technology yeah yeah and I, I know you can talk about some of the tesla stuff i'll get to that but i wanted to just stay focused on this first of all and all right. 
fallen angels have physical limitations is my understanding. What are those? Some, what's that? What, what, what limitations? Well, they use people to do certain things. So I'm assuming they have some limitations of what they can do in the physical. I'm, I'm making that assumption. I don't know for sure. The assumption might be okay, but uh, if, if they if their skin makes you know rainbows in the sunlight, and if uh, the, maybe their eyes have a slit going vertical, you know, for uh, iris, uh, then I can see where they wouldn't want to be out in the public too much because they draw too much attention. Mm-hmm. And that might be a limitation there is that they can't be seen too much until the right time. But but the, but they have humans building these crafts, right? Well, like they they're did. giving the technology. They did until the late seventies, and they kicked us the humans out of all of their underground bases we built for them. They, <laughs> what what they'd done is they they came here with a limited amount of technology when they were cast into our world, our dimension, if you wish, by the heaven uh, where where God dwells. So they they were being cast out, and they only brought a limited amount of technology with them. So they needed to have infrastructure to build new weapons, new communications, new transport, all that. Well, uh, until the human race was up to a point where, you know, the the mining and the technology of manufacturing, until that was at a certain point, they couldn't have us build all their stuff. So when that happened at the end of World War II, or right before the end there with the Germans or whatever, we started interacting, humans started interacting with them and being able to help them to make equipment, to make other devices that they needed. And so they needed us to do that to get them up to a certain stage. And at that point, then they could take off themselves. They didn't need us to, to supply materials or uh, machines or electronics or whatever. They could do it themselves. And that ha- occurred in the late 70s. And uh, I remember at lunch one time with Sir John where he, he mentioned they, and I didn't know at the time who they were, but they're moving in on us. He was talking to uh, Sir Henry across the table from me. And um, it turns out that we were being uh, kicked out of our bases, the humans, um, toward the late seventies. And that's the reason they cut me off and cut my records out of their, their office. And they did it to another guy that was at Oxford, same thing, turned us loose with what we could carry in our mind to tell about the project because it was being, in, uh, invaded or taken over by the, the real, uh, fallen ones, the, what people would call aliens. So, yeah, I, my audience knows they're demonic. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're demonic. And, uh, very, very smart. Satan, of course, is, is a super smart. And so it's been a several thousand year deception he's been planning. There's been UFOs that appeared, you know, before a, a, a Roman emperor to, you know, um, to, to win a battle with a star cross in it. I mean, there have been things that... Was that with Constantine? Yeah. In yeah. the 300s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I always suspected it was some sort of an alien ship. Well, understand, yeah, and 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 understand this. I mean, um, the Vatican, the, the, which is called the Roman Catholic religion, is really a business. Uh, and when Rome fell, uh, the the organization of Rome became the Vatican. They had bishops instead of um, you know kings that they appointed or governors in various provinces of Rome. Rome politically fell, but it hid hid in the Vatican. Uh, and, you know, no offense to people who are Catholic, they probably many of them don't know this, but uh, it, it, diverged, uh, it diverged away from the truth in the Bible. A lot of it and all of the extracurricular uh, books of the Bible were um, not included in canon so that you unless you could get a hold of those books in, in the old days, you couldn't. Um, you know, you, if you can't read Latin and scrolls and things like that, well, you wouldn't know what was hidden. But now we have the, the book of uh, Jasher. We have uh, 
you know, several extracurricular books um, that tell us things about the followers and what they're up to and, you know, how to identify them, all kinds of stuff. So that's what the, the Vatican organization has done is follow what Satan wanted. And they have been in control of all the kings and queens of Europe for centuries, you know, yeah. guiding them toward a, a particular thing, which is this world government. And I'm sure that, you know, Vatican representatives have also been influencing the financiers, the, the, uh, you know, the Illuminists, if you wish, the Illuminati, to this direction, to set up a one world government under a Vatican appointed leader. Um, and now that we have contact with, uh, you know, fallen ones, uh, the fallen angels, the, the demonic uh, people, beings, um, we're ripe for a great deception. Um, you can see, looking at the news, how it covers our planet at the moment, we've got several major crisis curves threatening humanity entirely. Uh, weather, uh, solar uh, uh, coronal mass ejections and flares, uh, nuclear war between people in the Middle East and us, um, starvation, uh, the, the weather is killing crops and, and disease and pandemics uh, going to be worse than, than, than uh, COVID was. All these crisis curves and financial collapse of the world economic system, all these things are coming together right now at the same time. And it's got our attention, you know, down at the ground level. And uh, when that situation has presented itself, then people are going to say, look, we don't want nuclear war. Perhaps one nuclear bomb goes off over Damascus or something, and then the whole world thinks we can't have a nuclear war in the planet in us. So we need help, somebody help. And basically, that's when they're going to be asking for the aliens to come and help them because it's going to be released officially through official disclosure. The aliens are here. They're our friends. They come to offer help if we just let them set up the planet, set up a government and appoint a human over this world government, give him technology to make things happen, to make life easier for you, protect you from asteroids and from solar flares and from anyway, and they can uh, turn off every nuclear bomb in the world. You know, they've, they've already done this in, in uh, some of the um, missile bases in North and, America. And that's been reported on the news that they tend to hover over nuclear bases and stuff like that. And so it, so there is a convergence coming And for all the things that you named, uh, to me, Stan, it sounds like, you know, they bring order out of chaos essentially. Yep. Right. Yep. So the world's on this breaking point and then they announce this, uh, you know, alien deception, and maybe there's some real crafts, maybe there's Project Bluebeam. Uh, you could probably speak to a lot of this. But uh, before we do, Stan, how are the governments involved and how have they been coordinated in this effort? Well, as I said earlier, the, the organization is multinational and it's above governments. It's the power behind governments, which is usually the money. And um, the uh, in, in the United States, our uh, director at the time was uh, Dr. Edward Teller. And in Russia, the director was Dr. Andrei Sakharov. And they were friends. And there were other uh, regional directors in various countries, you know, Canada, New Zealand, whatever. And they communicated without going through governments or government channels. This, this was... Um, the way that they were able to set up their organization and to disseminate information and technology back and forth without the governments or the people knowing. And they did have people appointed in various uh, government positions, which are mainly support positions, which do not change, even though the administration, you know, presidents and 
queens and kings, they, they changed, but the infrastructure that supports them was infiltrated with people that were on the payroll for this global organization. Um, so now that we're approaching the point, you can see that the, uh, the, the fake media, as, as uh, President Trump calls it, has been saying, well, th they are here. The, the UFOs are real. The aliens are real. We're going to make a disclosure here shortly. And when, when mainstream media, which is fake media, when it comes out and starts saying, yeah, the aliens are here, you know, they mean you no harm and uh, this kind of stuff, openly that means we're very close to the moment when their presence is going to be manifest over the cities like in various scientific movies or science fiction movies where you see um alien ships like in uh, you know uh, close encounters the third kind or i was thinking the one what was that one where independence day you know independence uh, day yeah yeah and it was a, a ship so big that you know that it just kind of shadowed over the whole town and, and like the the era the um um, the the lights that appeared uh, over a city there in Arizona. The, these things are, um, they're, they're huge. And uh, for them to be revealed, it, it tells our engineers, you don't know anything. And, and engineers that I've talked to and physicists, they say, well, you can't have a mile wide ship. You know, um, it, it, uh, it would fall apart from its own weight. I mean, a mile across, I mean, there's no structure uh, mass known that you could make, um, you know, connector beams and things like that, that would withstand it. it. It would just fall apart from its own weight. But what they they are not allowing for is to have uh, a number of nodes inside this huge ship where you say you have a 30 foot diameter craft or, or, or larger plugged into it, generating an anti-gravity field, which encompasses all the mass of that. And so th the longest stretch of mass that you might have might be, you know, 15, 16 feet. Well, that's that's doable. And then if you'd use that whole craft and use all the, the little nodes to drive it, the little flying saucers, it can do miraculous things, move at 20,000 miles an hour, turn on a dime, that kind of stuff. But because the, the information of electrostatics and high voltage physics and, and, and electrophysics has been withheld from the public since 1958, because of that, the, the universities that train our physicists are flying blind. They, they don't know about this. And so, of course, they poo-poo the whole idea of flying saucers working. They couldn't possibly hover in one spot over a city or wherever for, you know, two or three hours. Uh, that, that much fuel, it would leave an imprint. Or, you know, it's impossible. And so they're still thinking with a very limited view, which has been cast upon them by those controlling our educational system. Now, without getting too technical, Stan, but uh, just for my own curiosity, uh, because we see these things going underwater at m incredible rates of speed. We see them going from pole to pole in the atmosphere, or they've been reported. I haven't physically seen them. But does this technology allow them to eliminate resistance around them? Yes. It, it develops a field. Um, it, it penetrates every part of the craft and, and the crew. And this field is a circulating field of uh, electron. And it's, uh, it forms a vortex or like a, like a tornado of, this, of electrons in the middle of the craft that moves out and bends around to form a, uh, like a donut, um, a toroid is what it's called. And so within that field, and if you pump up the energy of the atoms, you can then have local gravity, local inertia inside that field that is independent of the earth. And so that, that's how they can turn 20,000 mile an hour corners is if they pump up the energy 
uh, of all the atoms in that field, including themselves. And for them, uh, physical chemical reactions that we measure time by, you know, heartbeat to tick of the clock or whatever, is slowed down hundreds of times. Um, or, you know, to us, it's um, sped up, but to them, they're slowed down. And they can look out the window, if there is such a thing, and see people on the ground when they're about to turn a corner at that high speed and they've charged up their field. They can see people on the ground moving in slow motion, you know, and for them on the craft, they are living rapidly, you know, as I say, several hundred times faster. And so they might break out the cards, have a game of gin and whatever, and a cup of tea while they're turning a corner at 20,000 miles an hour. And then they finish the turn and they blow off the excess energy. You see a bright flash of light. And on the ground, all the people have seen is there was a bright light. It stopped momentarily and went in a different direction, not in a curve, but always in a straight line. And this has to be done because of the way they charge the field, you know, and then discharge it. You can't do it a gradual type thing. You can, but it creates problems inside the craft. These same kind of fields can be used to go down into a more dense medium uh, like the, the ocean. And it generates a, a capsule, if you wish, of a, a, a field around the craft. So they can withstand the pressures going down to great depths and they can withstand the lack of pressure in, in space. So it's just a field field effect drive is what it amounts to. And it, it even allows them under certain circumstances to go through solid walls or rocks. I suspect that some of the bases that we can't find are probably inside, uh, you know, volcanoes or mountains or whatever. And they can just ease right up to it. And the whole ship and everybody goes through the solid rock to a cavern inside. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. And, but you know, this stuff has all been around, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, there's been leaks and things like that over the past and diagrams and, you know, you're just bringing all this stuff to a forefront. So I, I'd heard you mention Stan on, uh, the, on an interview that I saw you on that you actually feel that this, and you're not saying you know the date, I, I understand that, but you said that you think this would happen possibly in the next four years. I think at the start of the tribulation, yeah, it will be in that time because uh, otherwise it'll have to wait another um, maybe solar cycle or something in a and a half years uh, because in the Revelation of John, he speaks about things that are going to happen with the sun, the light bursting forth seven times brighter, uh, throwing off a cloud that's around the sun in the old testament uh making the stars dim and the the uh, light for the moon become blood red because of the dust in between us and them. Yeah. these are, are are solar events and we're we're approaching that point in time for the sun which is to me is a a clock because uh, this solar cycle has become erratic as i forecast it might be and I can see why it's going to get worse going towards September uh, of this year. I explained that on my show images page where I, I um, link to uh, several plots I've made of where positions of planets are now, where they will be in September and where they will be thereafter for the next two or three years. This, this time period will pass. I mean, the alignment of the outer gas planets that are causing the problems on the sun will pass. And so that tells me we're in the window now. Um, the, you can go to a site called theplanetstoday.com. It's all one, one word, theplanetstoday.com. And you can dial in dates. You can dial in 1982. You can dial in 1859 Carrington event. You can dial in today. You can dial in mm, September of 2023. And then you can dial in uh, May of next year and see how the planets are aligned. The, the great gas giants are aligned uh, on one side of the sun 
and that they are pulling the opposite side of the sun thin so that magnetic uh, ejections and flares and coronal mass ejections can occur easily when the the, the, the magnetic field of, of the surface of the sun is thinned. It's pu- the plasma is pulled to the other side of the sun by the gas giants. So when Earth is on that side, opposite side of the gas giant, is when we're going to see a maximum effect. In 1982, uh, Grimman and Pledgeman and I, we all thought that we were on the same side of the sun where the, the planetary alignment of the great gas giants was all there with us, that it would pull the surface of the sun toward us and make, you know, problems for the for the earth then. And, and uh, these are from also Christian scientists, but it didn't happen. I, I wrote about it in my book, The Cosmic Conspiracy, you know, uh, 1982, here's where the alignment will be. It did, it came and went and we didn't get uh, blasted with anything from the sun. But when you look at what we've seen today about the sun's surface thinning and being pulled to one side by the gas giants, then you see that we were looking at the wrong thing, the wrong side of the sun. When we're on the opposite side of the sun from the planetary alignments of the gas giants is when we're going to be exposed to these eruptions mm. and perhaps, you know, a, a, a blow off of the outer surface of the, of the uh, sun. Anyway. And, and how, how big is this window for this particular uh, cosmic event that's happening, you know, coming up this year? Well, I'd say from now until about 2000 and let's see, three, five, to about 2005 or 2020, sorry, 2025 to 2026. Boy, things are, things are lining up. Um, <laughs> and I'm not predicting anything here either. Look, we, we, we're supposed to be watchers and we're watching and trying to identify uh, you know, many of you believe that uh, that we found who the Antichrist is, and he just got a crown put on his head. Um, by the way, uh, people, uh, I hear people write, oh, but he's supposed to be young, good-looking, and, and charismatic, and stuff like that. Where does it say that in the Bible? Be the Berean, folks. Be the Berean. But um, I have another person who's going to be coming on here shortly, and he has... He, He's making a strong suggestion, Stan, that at the climate uh, conference, the COF, one that happens in Abu Dhabi uh, in November, I believe, of this year, he believes when they sound the trumpets at that, that will be the beginning of the tribulation. I don't know if it is or not. I'm just saying it's interesting speculation. And when you look at Agenda 2030, they've picked that date for a reason, 2030, and now we backtrack seven years, 2023. I don't know, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, possibly halfway and, and that window that you've just described, because to me, this alien deception, and this is just my guess, my thoughts as of today, and I might change as I get more information, but to me, it would come more towards the middle of the tribulation because we have all these physical signs happening for the first 1260 days right right? and then all of a sudden here's the solution let's end the chaos and by the way and i like how you described how the aliens so-called the demonics are going to say we're going to choose the leader for you and we're going to give you the technology so they're selling everybody on it uh probably how they possibly sell the mark or whatever but then they give all the power and that's That's Revelation 13 happening right there, lickety-split. It is. And, um, you know, you were talking about the uh, Abu Dhabi uh, conference there. Um, 
and 2030, Mohammed bin Salman, who is one of uh, of my uh, potential candidates for Antichrist or mm, false prophet, one of the two, uh, he is uh, he is set uh, 2030 as the uh, finish date for his remodeling of Saudi Arabia and the, the um, making of peace between the Arab nations. Um, uh, Mohammed bin Salman is a prince, and Daniel does say that uh, the, the prince of the covenant is a prince, right? Not a mm-hmm. king. And now we've got King Charles now. So, you know, which prophecy do you rely on? Um, yeah, listen, there, there's, and at the end of the day, uh, that really doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is just knowing the times we're going into and getting close to God. At the end of the day, uh, look, it's kind of fun. This is a radio show. We speculate on these things, but I make sure to tell people, look, I don't know 100%. <laughs> You know, right, right. Neither do but, I. But I'm, but I'm watching. Yeah, and uh, we've been told this stuff for us to watch for the season, and not for the exact day or you know date and time, but the season. And we're in that season. Um, gosh, yeah, I think 1948 there, 1949, the clock really started ticking. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, you know, at the end of World War II, the Allies uh, uh, realized, and that included Russia realized that uh, forming a dictatorship of the planet like Hitler tried uh, to do would not work because small things like the French resistance uh, would bring your whole organization down from within. You had to have the support of all the people. So then they thought, well, uh, we've had the League of Nations. We now got the United Nations, but you can't get any two of them to agree on how to make a cup of coffee, much less run the planet. Uh, And we need to have uh, decisions made quickly rather than in, in committees over weeks and months. So we have to have a world government where the people support it and give uh, authority to a central figure or a central committee that can um, do things quickly and make decisions that affect the whole planet rather than wait for, you know, arguments and discussions. That's a seven horns, 10 heads. Right? Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, we, our guys at the end of world war two realized that this is the way we had to go and whether aliens were real or whether we invented them uh, in, in the um, late 40s, et cetera, which we, we didn't. But we could have a Project Blue Beam where we would fool the people of all the, the, the countries, not the politicians, just the people, that they come in peace, they mean us no harm, and here's a way we can help you solve your planet and protect you, you know, blah, blah, blah. We mean you no harm. In fact, I have that in one of my, uh, as the end of one of my chapters, in the cause of conspiracy. Watch out when they come and say, we come in peace. We mean you no harm. It's like Reagan saying, uh, if a government guy comes and knocks on your door and says, I'm here to help you run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. That, now, that is but, but governments have kept this a secret because governments around the world have known about this. Right? They have. They have. But when they try to tell uh, is when that leadership uh, realizes that they're at the mercy of the people behind the scenes whether they will die, uh, be replaced, or whatever. Nixon came close, but uh, he uh, he wasn't able to, to tell everything out. Um, yeah. And and Trump, I think, really wanted to as well, but that, well, that disappeared. There are, there are two things uh, when you look at this. Why aren't the presidents of the United States, for instance, why aren't they... Uh, when they become president, fulfilling their promise to expose the whole UFO thing. Why? Well, let's see. One, it could be that they are frightened to death of the, you know, personally uh, by, you know, nearby 
people that are in their administration, they might be killed or whatever, or they might be impeached and put in prison or what. That's a that's a that's a stick. That's not a carrot. But the carrot would be, look, you're the president of the United States. And if you stick with us and let us bring about this global world peace, you'll be the president. Remember, that's bringing world peace and helping the, the, the country and the, the world. Wow. You mean I'll have, you know, this in my legacy? So yeah, that, I, I saved the world, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can mm. see that. that. That's much better than the stick. The carrot just leads you right down the path. Yeah, I yeah, that that would certainly work with someone like DJT. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's sad, but that's true. Yeah, and uh, uh, so th there's a couple other things that I wanted to, to talk to you about. Um, you talked about, you know, not only working on the anti-gravity stuff, but also free energy. Um, you know, most of my audience is familiar with Tesla and the patents being taken and stuff like that. Uh, but you have evidence that this free energy stuff is real. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, my sons and I are working on uh, reviving the, the Henry Murray uh, uh, free energy from the atmosphere uh, what Tesla used to drive his um, car around uh, town for several days with an electric motor. Um, you know, it's and what the people in Sweden did in 1920, the Christian community that made the Testatica um, machine with two spinning discs, like a similar to a Wimsers machine. And they were powering their homes for, you know, several hundred homes all the time with the electricity they drew from the atmosphere. And what the, was Oh, all that right. was that was atmospheric. That one as well. Yeah, it was the same thing. They're all using the same uh, source, and it's not really atmospheric, even though the atmosphere is involved in it. It's the 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 fine structure of space itself, the thing that gravity waves form in and spin around to form planets and stars and galaxies. It's that the density of space itself, the ether space, it was called in the 19th century, um, and there's a way to cause the energy from the outer part of, of spin around a planet, its gravity, to its surface, to cause a difference in voltage by punching up through this space-time or ether with a high-voltage pulse. And all of these devices that I've been able to find in research have started with a way that you put a high-voltage spark, say 20,000 volts, you punch that up into the atmosphere, and then you relax and you did again with a certain frequency, which is, you know, not magic. It's, it's probably less than 200 cycles per second. And you punch up until you get that flow to start from, from higher than the surface of the earth. You go up into the field high enough, say, you know, two or 3000 feet uh, e effective. And then it starts to flow uh, into your uh, Wimsler's type machine or your, your Franklin electrostatic machine and starts turning things. And you then strip off those high voltage arcs coming down from that. And, you can run electrostatic generators. You can run Tesla step-down coils like Moray did, or like Tesla did as well. Um, and that you start that reaction, and you're you're converting the, the the energy density of space from high above the surface to down at the surface. You are causing it to short and come down to Earth as though you had a a wire on a balloon up several thousand feet. You know, converting that difference. And that's it's. It's a simple thing, and uh, certainly we're we're doing research as I speak. Uh, I've got stuff here on my uh, research desk, uh, generators and whatever we're working on. 
to make it simple enough that people, especially the believers, when they have to run and not be numbered, uh, you know, get out of society, they're going to need power for fresh water, for food, uh, or transport, communications. And this is what we're, we're working on this to, to regain the secret that the Swedish community had as well, so that people can have, the Christian people in, in uh, exile uh, can have that to, to try to stay ahead of the Antichrist who wants to behead them during the tribulation. Now, with older structures, and I don't know if you know about this, but with the older structures, the cathedrals and stuff like that, they all had this steeple and this certain shape. And uh, there's many people who are suspecting that they were using this to draw energy. Now, maybe it's not energy like electricity in what we're talking about. Maybe it's healing type of energy or something like that. Do you know anything about that subject? Well, I, I've heard it uh, postulated. Um, I don't know whether they did or not, but I uh, go back to the Great Pyramid uh, in Egypt uh, at Kaops there. Uh, in the time of Herodotus, the report he made from his visit there with the, the priests of Saiz uh, was that there was canals of water underneath the Great Pyramid as, as a ground, you know, electrical ground. And yeah. the top, top was this uh, white capstone uh, which had a gold plate on it. Uh, it's like an electrode. So you had like an antenna and a ground and in between. And there were reports that the, the land of Luxor of light uh, developed light around this uh, great pyramid because of this this construction. And, and to me, that's the same kind of construction that is even reported in uh, Exodus in the Bible when Moses built the Ark of the Covenant by God's command and it developed a, an electrostatic field, dynamic field around it, such that you, you didn't want to touch it because you would die instantly. Electric shock, 40, 50,000 volts would probably do that. And it's why when the high priest was going in, they tied a sash on him one, one day a year. They tied a sash around him to be able to pull him out should he become, quote unquote, glorified and start to float. <laughs> they, they'd pull him out and then would discharge him as per instruction so that his voltage level was not of the kind to kill him when he touched the ground. Uh, and when transporting the ark, the, the priests that were transporting had to bathe in a certain kind of oil all over their skin. They put these wooden acacia wood uh, supports on their shoulders that went through the loops in the Ark of the Covenant. And they shuffled. They went barefoot. They could not allow any capacity difference between their body and the ground to occur. So they would shuffle walk. They wouldn't take a step. And there have been reports of cattle around high voltage lines when there was a leak in the high voltage lines here. A cattle would, would a cow would take a step and be electrocuted. It's because they would they would raise their front legs and their back legs would be at a different potential and it, the charge would go through them and they're they're dead. But you see the evidence of this kind of behavior in the Old Testament. And then, you know, before that was the Pyramid of Chaos, which was probably during the Atlantean period in Saudi Arabia. It just All of this stuff points to the energy is there. If God has an Ark of the Covenant, which he does in heaven with him, and, and there was the Ark of the Covenant they had Moses make, you can see how they can communicate. And, you know, the charge build up and the, and the legends in the in the Jewish traditions after the time of Solomon and, and Solomon's temple at that time, the Shekinah glory, you know, spread forth from the temple, from the Holy of Holies down into the streets and out through Israel. But gradually over a period of, of generation or so, the, the Shekinah started to pull back in and only illuminate the steps of the temple and then back up into the, the core of it. And that was the time of Nebuchadnezzar then invaded and the Ark of the Covenant was taken somewhere else and hidden. Um, so the, the clues are all there if you know what to look for. And uh, 
If God uses that in the Ark of the Covenant, well, hey, Ark of the Covenant had two angels, like two electrons facing each other, had mm -hmm. a, a gold-plated uh, insulated box of acacia wood inside and outside. What they don't show you was the connection between this angel in the inside box and this angel in the outside box. And in between is where God appeared and communicated to Israel. Uh, just, wow. God but, is the inventor of all physics, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. The great, the great physics teacher. Yep. Yep. And, and so with this, uh, with this energy, uh, the free energy, you've made the claims that it's actually operational, for instance, in the horn in Australia. And is, does the military use this technology? Uh, you're, you're saying the horn, what uh, the, the uh, well, yeah. What, what's that to the tip of Australia? Oh, the Exmouth, uh, the, um, yeah, the Northwest Cape Exmouth was where the naval facility was. And you can, in fact, if you go to Google Earth and go to Exmouth Peninsula and right to the tip of it and zoom in close, you're going to see the great Tesla coil that uh, the final one that the Navy used to broadcast power throughout the planet to the submarines and, and those kind of things. But yeah, it's, uh, it's there. And then there was one like that in the center of Australia near Alice Springs at Pine Gap. And the the ground well underneath that was twenty five thousand feet deep. Wow! Yeah, I talked to the guy who actually drilled the well. So yeah, Stan, you blow in my mind, but you filled in a lot of gaps for people. So there, there is it, your conclusion is there is no extraterrestrial life. Someone who came from a planet in a far, far away galaxy. These are dimensional beings that have essentially stepped from second heaven into uh, this realm. Yes and no. Um, remember, Satan has been down in our universe for some time. Yeah. He's had time to go and colonize other far distant planets and star systems with hybrid beings like uh, reptilian beings or uh, insect beings. I mean, these have been reported, and I think that people are reporting what they've seen. So he's created a race of different kinds of entities that are mostly bipedal, you know, two legs and walk on them. And Would that explain like the grays and stuff like that? I'm glad you brought it up. So I wanted to get to that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. The grays, I think are his direct creation here. Uh, they are like biological robots. They have no soul or empathy. You know, they, they operate on people who scream in pain and they, it doesn't bother these beings at all, you know, uh, they, they don't have the spirit of God in them and, and they, they don't have empathy. They're just like robots, except they have soft flesh. Um, however, having said that, uh, from one of the reports I got from our security detail that was in uh, England, uh, a saucer craft crashed there and two or three occupants survived and one of them in particular survived. And according to the report, liked to eat strawberry ice cream. It was his favorite. And he would put it in a flap uh, somewhere in his stomach and uh, absorb it so why would he eat anything you see unless he were uh, it was a biological entity and that was the way that it was replenishing its energy storage to run its you know brain its computer whatever but the results of these things do indicate that those do not have empathy for humans whereas the, the nordic human looking ones do have empathy they understand and converse with humans as you know fellow living entities or whatever they're not treating us like uh, uh, cattle at least not obviously anyway so do you think that they're fallen angels that maybe regret rebelling against god some of these well they, they may be but um right now they're trying to figure out how to keep god from 
casting them into the lake of fire forever and destroying them, um, their punishment is coming. And so they're building uh, uh, and have built uh, a, a lot of weapons to fight Jesus when he comes to earth in the Armageddon battle to try to defeat uh, uh, Jesus. They're not going to do it, but they're making this one last ditch stand to show the universe, whoever's watching, that um, what God did in organizing you know, the, the, everything was not fair and uh, that Satan should be in charge, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, this situation is being resolved here in a battle uh, that finishes here. There's war in the heavens now, as the Bible says, and it's going to finish here. And that's why all these deceptive uh, races have been uh, created or, uh, yeah, uh, been created and brought here to to make it seem like, um, you know, it's aliens from other planets and other galaxies in the creation and that they are God. I mean, the argument they're going to use is going to be very convincing because uh, remember, uh, Satan was around at the time of the crucifixion and he was the time, around the time of the Garden of Eden. Suppose mm -hmm. he can show you video, three-dimensional video and sound of Adam and Eve eating the wrong fruit, of the crucifixion of Jesus, and then say to you, well, Jesus is one of our guys, you know, and uh, here, 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 see, here's the crucifixion. We were there watching him. You know, this kind of technology is going to fool people. Um, the Antichrist of our age is going to have the power to bring down fire from the sky and strike targets. Well, okay, you could do that with a Harper Ray direction and various other things that are in orbit already. But this is going to uh, impress the uneducated masses. So be educated beforehand. If you're here to see that uh, duck, it's not going to be good. And as the Lord says, many will come in my name, but if they say here, here is the Messiah, there is the Messiah, run, <laughs> right? Yeah, if he's in the desert, go to him there. Look, the Lord says when I come, it's going to be the lightning from the east to the west. Everything, all creation will know that I am here. Yeah, And that's the true power. Yeah, but you know, Satan is a, he, Satan can't create, but he can deceive and he can, you know, he does his best to copy everything. And, you know, I, I've always kind of wondered, is, is Satan going to try a kind of fake reverse rapture or something like that? Like, I don't know. I'm speculating, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, as I say, this this alien presence from all, you know, other planets and stuff like this, all a great deception, as Jesus spoke of in Matthew. Don't be fooled by this. It's going to be very, very clever. And even the very elect would be fooled if such were possible. And why? I don't think the very elect are going to be here. So if the rapture, uh, if the deception is coming now with a flying saucer, the aliens being revealed to the world officially, then at that point, if the elect could be fooled, they would be here. So that's why I lean toward, and it's just you know my personal opinion, that the rapture will occur before the alien presence um, makes itself known and declares itself, you know, to be the creators. So I, I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, and I know everyone's got an opinion on this. But yeah, yeah. when I when I did the biblical timelines, and I spent you know some time researching it for myself, it seems to me that uh that we're here for the first 1260 days and then that's when the antichrist uh is 
pulled, the mark is introduced, and then we have about 30 to 40 days between that time and then that's when we're raptured and then the wrath of God hits for the next 1260 days. But well, look, where, I, are, where, where are we now? Are we in the tribulation now? Well, so that's the thing. I don't know if we'll actually know the start date of the tribulation. When does the antichrist um, become revealed at what part during the tribulation? I think it's right towards the middle. All right then if we have full disclosure now and the alien presence is made known now then that would indicate maybe we're to be in the middle of the tribulation it's it's possible absolutely uh the the one time from just from my research and by the way there's people who know how to research the bible better than i do so i'm not claiming anything i'm just a guy who's really interested in this but um the one time when we'll know is when the sun goes dark and the moon goes blood red. We know at that point, the, because it's chronological, it's like it's you know written that way everywhere, and that's when we know the Son of Man is on his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of uh, things that uh, uh, seem to be contradictory, but probably are not once you see the whole picture. Jesus' parables were that way uh, as well. But um, yeah, I, I just looking at it logically, I know that the sun is in its uh, its most active period in a long time and twice as strong with uh, flares and sunspots as was predicted by Noah and NASA, twice as strong, twice as many. And this period of time will last probably for another Oh, let's see, we're at five, uh, two, three, about another two or three years. Uh, and so anywhere during that time, we can probably see these uh, solar eruptions and things that, that generate the dust cloud around the sun and the, the moon turning uh, uh, to red color. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but those... That, what that, would be the next cycle? That how, how many years until the next cycle past this one? Well, from right now, it would be um, 11 and a half years. For it reaches this point again. So wow. that tells you something. I mean, when we're at 2023, 20, when is 2030? Seven years? Seven years. Well, so it'd be happen. around 2034 then when the uh, next window appears. No, well, well the, the next window is like like now we're in a window. Yeah. And so you add 11 and a half years to that. You're Yeah, you're right. What, 2034, 2035, something like that? Yeah. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think, and and that with the, <coughs> the open disclosure of we've been dealing with aliens in the media, you know, and the governments are saying this now openly, that tells me they're not going to waste this opportunity. They're not going to say, yeah, they're here, but uh, we don't know what to do about it for another 10 years, 11 years. I doubt it. It's going to be soon. And the world economy, even my bank, uh, we, we bank with several banks, have been saying we're going to digital cash soon because there's going to be an economic global collapse and we're going to have to, you know, recover by giving people digital money instead of printed money. Okay. This is banks telling us this, right? Uh, so they're not going to miss that opportunity to form a global uh, economic system and to quote unquote, save the planet. So that tells me we're, we're there at the formation period. We're there. Uh, yeah. I agree with you. 
I, I totally agree. Everything is lined up like no other time in history. And there really has been no other time in history when all of this stuff has been possible until now. I know. And that's what you've got to realize. Uh, you know, people need to see that. Um, when, when you see this here, there it is. Put it up on the screen. Yeah. This is the red satanic fleet. I, I put into some of my lectures to show that Satan's on his way and it's a great deception of the flying saucers coming to earth to save us. We mean you no harm. We come in peace. Let us help you. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so for the listening audience, it's a, uh, it's like a very, looks like a very large craft, like the one he described earlier that was, you know, possibly miles and miles long. And it's, uh, it's seemingly coming up on the moon and going to be making a right-hand turn towards Earth. Yep, yep. Okay. You know, well, I it, just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, Stan, man, I really appreciate you coming on and your vast knowledge. And you're knowledgeable about many other topics, so I'd like to have you come back if you'd be willing. Uh, is there anything you'd like to promote or bring people to your website or anything before we close out? Well, yeah, I suppose um, our website's uh, standeo, S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. And my wife, Holly, updates that six days a week, um, starting at about 4.30 in the morning and going to about 10. And uh, it, she looks at news all over the planet. I look at some, but she does the majority of it and put it there, things that are important for people, Christians, to know about and people who would be saved that are not quite yet saved to know about. Um, then I have on a, a link on the top right side of that page. It's called Show Images near the microphone. And that goes over to my current uh, topics that I discuss on my website uh, that's a, you know, a, a lecture website. When I uh, do shows like with you, I go over to Show Images and I put up things there you can click on and read about. But the, the lower half of the, the cells that you can click on that um, the little boxes is always there and it covers things with Israel and with oil and the toe of Asher and uh, with uh, the Antichrist potentials. I've, I've got, I don't know, probably 10 potential Antichrists and, and discussions on them there. I've got mm, satellite imagery of uh, the, the Saudi Arabia and parts of Egypt and showing things that are there that uh, two, two of our bases. So go to there and, and and explore these these boxes i have in show images and you'll see what i'm talking about uh, right in the middle there'll be one thing mysteries of saudi arabia go there and see our mysteries of the middle east i think it is um another thing uh, when i was telling you about the, the the free energy thing there there are a number of people out there that have been trying to make free energy and some have succeeded but to those who are still on the threshold of it um, i want to show you this this one uh, photograph of Dr. T. Henry Murray and his son John, uh, who's you know a young man at the time, they're in his basement, and he's showing the energy. Maury is showing the energy from the air right there, which is really from the the fine structure. And I want to show you this uh, picture, and then explain it because, okay, share screen. Let me have it and window. Okay, this is a picture that. They didn't widely circulate, but we did manage to get it. And this shows uh, here in the picture, it shows his son holding in his left hand um, a wire, a ground wire, which you can see going behind him in the picture. And a little spinning disc thing, like a, a Benjamin Franklin electrostatic motor. 
and in his right hand is um, a uh, well, like a little flat thing that has um, got a ball on it, and it's causing the disc to spin rapidly. And there's a, a wire coming from that that device from the small ball thing up to an antenna that his father is stretching across the floor. So this is showing you there are no other magic devices, etc., in between, but that you can by spinning this little handheld um, Franklin generator, you can spin it and start causing sparks to go or, or, or high voltage pulses to go up into the environment and back. And he adjusts it by how close he holds the ball to the spinning disc to make it go the right speed for the right uh, place where they are. And this is this is showing you that static electricity becomes dynamic when you get the right pulse frequency punching in the environment. This is an important picture. Uh, for those of you that can't see it, well, I'm sorry, but, but uh, anyway, it's um, it, it's the secret to this energy and how you can collect it with either an electrostatic motor like Jeff Amenko made or with um, Tesla coils or with Wimsers type devices that the Swedish group did. Anyway, I just wanted to give that visual to people. So if there's some place on your site that they can see that, where would that be? Yeah, well, we can get it uh, screenshotted and I'll put it up on Telegram okay, for our go, audience. Do I need to bring it back up for you or not? No, no, I'll be able to screenshot it. I got okay. the timestamp. Okay, all right. So the other thing is, um, we, uh, you know, Holly and I have written uh, various books. She's written the preparedness books, the Dare to Prepare, and then the uh, prophecy uh, analyses, you know, prophetic perils. Um, and the end time prophecies now that book is important explaining what's being happening to the churches and a lot of other things that are being fulfilled in prophecy now prophetic perils and then um the dare to prepare book is you know physically how to prepare and my book the cosmic conspiracy was from 1978 and the first 200 pages have remained the same in all editions i've just added things at the end which is the, the last one was in 2010 the final edition um and in there there are things that are important as far as the great deception in that edition in the appendices that i've added um and you know uh, oh, i guess and, you can, can they get these books directly from your website or should they go yeah. on to another site no they can get it from our website we have pictures of all the books there uh, including the prophetic uh, or sorry the prudent places to live in the united states and why and that kind of stuff um, but yeah, uh, go to our website and uh, you can also on our website down about oh, a third of the way, I think there's a, a, a rectangular box with information on the EMP shield that my partner, Tim Carney and I developed five or six years ago. And it's now a, uh, a multi-million dollar company with 50 employees and about to be so a, a billion. I'm going to have my own affiliate link for that shield. Uh, by Excellent. the way, we're just finalizing. There's just a little bit of paperwork because I'm international that we're trying to solidify. By the way, your staff, the staff did get back to me immediately and they've been fantastic. But right. probably by next week, I'll be offering those shields uh, to my audience and, you know, we'll we'll do something special to make it work. But uh, yeah, fantastic. You, you have so many topics, Stan, and uh, you're very well-spoken, extremely knowledgeable, and uh, and most importantly, you're a believer. Oh, absolutely. And that's the important thing. People need to sign on with Jesus right now, you know, to be delivered from this time of great tribulation on the earth and deception. There's no other way out of this thing, <laughs> you know. Page 127 of the Cosmic Conspiracy. Read it 
And if you believe and say what we ask you to say, then you are saved and sign your name to it to prove the deal. Page 127, The Cosmic Conspiracy. It's always been that way. Praise God. Praise God. Well, thank you so much for being here, Stan. I'll be reaching out to you again soon. I'd love to come have you come on. In fact, you've got an open door. You know, if you have something important you want to get out there, uh, you know, certainly just contact me. Don't wait for me to contact you, but we'll get you on. Uh, really enjoyed having you here, Stan. So uh, thank you to Stan for being here. And remember, everyone, that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. And uh, no one goes to the Father except through him. Uh, So there's never been a better time in history to get to know Jesus. And in the meantime, sorry, go ahead. I said absolutely. I just agree with you 100%. Well, and I always close the show by saying this, but in the meantime, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and go and make a difference in your community. Hmm. 